This is a Federal News Network podcast. The Biden administration's ambitious goal of net zero carbon emissions for the U.S. economy by 2050 calls for the federal government to set an example. The White House wants agencies to acknowledge the financial risk of climate change and plan ways to mitigate that risk, particularly when it comes to what the government buys and the greenhouse gas emissions that stuff produces. Federal News Network's Amelia Brust joins me now with the latest. And Amelia, let's start with the federal supply chain. What is the policy? What do they hope to achieve there with respect to greenhouse gas? The president's major climate agenda back in January, Executive Order 14008, covers a lot of aspects of tackling climate change. But when it comes to the role of the federal government, the big emphasis is on how to make procurement more environmentally sustainable. And part of that means reducing the impact of greenhouse gas emissions in the federal supply chain. And that can include from resource extraction to manufacturing and transportation to the actual use of those resources and the human capital costs. Andrew Mayock, the federal chief sustainability officer uh, on the White House Council for Environmental Quality, or CEQ, is spearheading these efforts, and he said they will advance, uh, hopefully, a national manufacturing capacity and create a market for low-carbon sustainable goods. The White House is calling on federal suppliers to be good climate stewards, which Mayock said would need transparency and action to mitigate greenhouse gas emissions. So here he is addressing the Sustainable Purchasing Leadership Council over the summer about this topic. Current federal sustainability procurement policy, as many on the phone here know, is built on a series of single attribute product focused statutes and regulations which have been enacted piecemeal over the last 50 years without a unified vision or a coordinated governance. Implementation of those requirements, again, as many know here, can be siloed. In some cases, many cases, markets have moved well beyond our requirements and developed new practices, including supply chain GHG tracking and bike lane policies, where we, the federal government, don't currently have leading edge policies. So we intend to use this moment to transform federal sustainability procurement into a more comprehensive system where we can more easily update our requirements, metrics, and processes to get the most impact for our efforts and taxpayer dollars. Again, that's Andrew Mayock, the federal chief sustainability officer. All right, Amelia, there was a January executive order from the CEQ or telling the CEQ to be developing a federal sustainability plan to address supply chain emissions. What can you tell us about that? So the federal sustainability plan is in the federal rulemaking process at this point, and a final version is expected to be released within a couple months. But there's a subsequent executive order called uh, Executive Order 14030 called Climate-Related Financial Risk, which is really directed at the disclosure component of that sustainability plan. And the Federal Acquisition Regulation Council opened cases on some of these issues in June. But here's Andrew Mayock again describing uh, two key areas that the FAR Council and the CEQ are told to develop regulations around, according to that climate-related financial risk executive order. One, require major federal suppliers to publicly disclose greenhouse gas emissions and climate-related financial risk and to set science-based reduction targets. And two, to ensure that major federal agency procurements minimize the risk of climate change, including requiring the social cost of greenhouse gas emissions to be considered in procurement decisions, 
and where appropriate and feasible give preference to bids and proposals from suppliers with a lower cost of greenhouse gas emissions. Again, Andrew Mayock of the CEQ, the Council on Environmental Quality. We're speaking with Federal News Network's Amelia Brust. And Amelia, just tell us why disclosure is so important to this idea of reducing the greenhouse gases in the supply chain. So this is something I asked Corrine Doherty about. She's a partner at advisory firm KPMG in their federal audit division. And her background is in determining financial risks and the auditing of federal agencies. She said disclosure is really important for transparency. And transparency is important for accountability and public trust that the federal government can meet its goals and is actually working towards them. All right. So the Biden administration is expecting agencies to quantify the climate risk in the supply chain. What are the metrics agencies are supposed to be using here? How does it get down to brass tacks? Well, Doherty said there's two types of climate-related financial risks um, that the White House should uh, be paying attention to, physical and transitional risks. The physical is maybe a little bit easier to visualize. That's things like damage to federal physical assets and infrastructure, like what we've seen at military installations as the result of extreme weather disasters. The transition risk happens when the country moves from moves to a net neutral uh, emissions economy. And here's already talking a bit about that. So to give you an example, that's where the government could ask the questions, you know, what will be the cost of the government to procure renewable energy or clean energy? So it's really looking at what are those climate-related financial risks first, and then determining you know, what's the impact, what's the strategy going to be, how is the government going to potentially fundamentally change operations as a result? And again, that's Corrine Doherty of KPMG. And that idea of standardizing when private industry has so many different ways it might calculate its climate impact and agencies have different ways, how is that all going to get standardized and harmonized in some way? Yes, that's a really important point, and one that Doherty said uh, is a question that the private sector is grappling with as well. But there are some models that do exist, such as the Financial Stability Board's Task Force on Climate-Related Financial Disclosures, which was created in 2015. The Financial Stability Board itself was created after the G20 Summit in 2009. And then there's also the way that the Office of Management and Budget and the Treasury Department produce the annual financial report of the U.S. government. So here's already explaining how that is a well-established model that could work for calculating climate-related financial risks. Equating that to climate-related financial risks, it could be a similar process, but to the point we've already talked about, that there would need to be standardized um, guidance. Uh, as well as, you know, policies and procedures and, and controls put in place related to this information. Because in the financial statement area, there are processes and controls around the financial statement data. And that's one of the areas that um, the government will should be able to look at in terms of well, what are going to be the controls and policies and procedures around this type of data, since it's mostly non-financial data. So the bottom line here then, Amelia, is there is a pretty clear policy coming from the White House to update all of this idea of supply chain risk. But now agencies have a lot of work to do, first to determine what the risk is in the supply chain, getting that reporting from suppliers, and then somehow making it comparable so that the numbers work across government. Tall order. 
It is, but Doherty said that while it's it's important to frame this conversation around the challenges. It's also beneficial to look at the opportunities to reducing the financial liabilities and um, increasing efficiency of resources if we can tamp down on greenhouse gas emissions and federal supply chain. Federal News Network's Amelia Brust, thanks so much. Thank you. Check out her story at federalnewsnetwork.com. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I am your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Vice Admiral Cutler Dawson. Cutler has had an incredible career serving our country for 35 years in the Navy, where he attained the rank of Vice Admiral. During his service, he had numerous assignments afloat and ashore, including Commander, Second Fleet, Striking Fleet Atlantic, and in Washington at the Pentagon and on Capitol Hill, where he was the Navy's Chief of Legislative Affairs. Immediately following his retirement from active duty in 2004, he became the president and CEO of Navy Federal Credit Union, the world's largest credit union, where he served for 14 years. Under his leadership, Navy Federal grew from 2 million to 8 million members. Phenomenal. Cutler, welcome and thanks for joining me. Thank you, Shane. You've had a fascinating career across both military and the private sector. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background and your professional journey? Well, I started out at the Naval Academy where I graduated in 1970. And then, as you mentioned, spent 35 years in the Navy um, with uh, six actual actual, uh, afloat commands. Uh, The first one was when I was 27 years old. Uh, I didn't know enough to be scared of anything. And it was uh, probably one of the highlights of my career. Um, And then after I retired, after 35 years, I went to uh, work at Navy Federal Credit Union as the CEO, where I spent my next 14 years. Um, I'm I'm currently retired and enjoying life. And um, it's been a great run for me. How would you describe your leadership style? And how's that developed over the years? My style has been quite consistent. Um, I believe, and I've learned this in the Navy, that you have to go to the deck plates uh, to see what is going on. And you have to learn what your people do and how they do it so you can help them to be better at it and more efficient and more productive. Um, It's um, something that you need to do all the time. Um, I remember I used to tell folks that um, you don't want to retreat to your cabin what I mean by that is um, the longer you're in a position, the less you think you have to get out and about. But that should be the opposite. You should get out and about more because people change, situations change, and you've got to figure out a way to get to them and find out what they're doing and where, what you can do to help them. Uh, I. We'll talk a little bit more about your book, but I read it um, from C to the C-suite. Fantastic read. You talk about the deck plates in that um, as well. I would encourage everyone to get a copy of this and read some more detail about going to the deck plates. Cutler, who was the most impactful leader in your life and what quality did you admire about them? I had numerous while I was in the Navy, but uh, the quality that, that I enjoyed the most was the leaders that got to know me as an individual and that they cared about me. And I could tell that they cared about me. And they were not only my leaders, but they were my mentors. And um, I remember um, one particular one, Bill Schiffer, when I had my first assignment at the Pentagon, um, 
I would go in to see him with my problem of the day. And I knew that he had numerous problems of his own, but he would stop and he would focus on me and he would make me feel like I was the most important person in his world. Um, and I, I tried to do that um, throughout my career, but really it's about caring for your people. Cutler, in reading your book, there was a quote you used that you used to inspire those people that work for you. And it really got my attention. And it was, it was you are the captain of your own ship. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what that means and how it was useful to you and the leaders you were developing. Uh, absolutely. Um, what I mean by captain of your own ship, when you are the captain of a ship, sometimes you're in the middle of the ocean and you don't have anybody to turn to to make decisions. You don't have anybody to turn to ask, what should I do now? You have to be the captain of that ship. And I, I translated that um, into, let's say, Navy Federal's organization, where I would tell branch managers that I said, you are the captain of the ships of Navy Federal. You're the ones that are facing the, the members or customers, as others call them, every day. And you have to make decisions without a lot of guidance, in some cases, and without a lot of time. So be the captain of your own ship. Step up, uh, make decisions, uh, do what you think is right, and you never can go wrong. I think that is so important. And you have to give your people a little bit of latitude to take some risk as well, because there is risk for them in doing that and risk to your organization. That's right. And, and I mentioned that I took command of my first ship uh, with five years in the Navy and I was 27 years old. Well, my boss had 32 years in the Navy and um, his, his guidance to me when I first met him was, Cutler, you do the right thing, and I'll back you up all the way. What a wonderful way to, to spend an assignment with, uh, with backup and, and guidance like that. What, what great, great advice. Uh, it's clear leadership is a topic you're passionate about. You wrote the book we mentioned before, um, From C to C-Suite. Can you tell us a little bit about that project? Yes. When I was at Navy Federal, I would tell C-Stories. Uh, as parables to get my point across. And um, folks would tell me, Cutler, we like your stories. It gives us a picture of what you're trying to tell us. Now, what else are they going to say? They work for me, but uh, uh, I took it as a compliment. And it was. And my wife encouraged me to write a book and I needed a co-author to help me. And I found a lady named Taylor Keelan, who was the perfect, perfect co-author. She turned in my stories into wonderful chapters um, that I'm very proud of. Where can listeners find a copy? Well, you can get it on Amazon, uh, and you can also uh, get it on the Naval Institute website. Uh, and I might add that um, any proceeds from the book, Navy Federal uses uh, to give to charity. Fantastic. Cutler, thank you very much. Really enjoyed your time and your lessons and in leadership and sharing with us your life story. And, and uh, I've learned a lot both from talking to you today and reading your book. And thank you very much for your time. It's my pleasure. And I, I, I would like to add one thing if I could, Shane. Um, during my assignments in Washington, D.C., I gained the utmost respect for the civilians that work here every day. They're hardworking, they're dedicated, and they, they have my eternal gratitude. Uh, I got to come and go from 
the Pentagon, they stayed every day and worked in Washington when I got to go out and um, enjoy being at sea. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah, WEPA serves civilian federal employees, but your comment is well taken because the interaction between the two is is continuous, it's nonstop, and it's critical. So uh, the career civil servants, as well as career military, uh, our country would not be where it is today without them. I totally agree. And and I can tell you from the U.S. Navy standpoint, uh, we couldn't operate like we do without them being the backbone of what we do. Thank you very much for your time today, Cutler. And to everyone listening to Lessons in Leadership podcast, we'll see you next time. All I want for Christmas is a DWI. Yeah, said no one ever. Impaired driving kills the holiday spirit. Drive sober, drive smart. Extra enforcement now on Minnesota roads. A message from the Minnesota Department of Public Safety. This episode is brought to you by Zelle. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, it's important to do it safely. Here are a few helpful tips. First, always make sure you know and trust the person you are sending money to. Second, confirm you have entered their contact details correctly. And finally, if you don't trust the person or your recipient is rushing you to send money right away, think twice before sending money through an app or online.